0: Thank you so much. Kelly welcomed me again and said it was great to even have me back for a second Sunday, like she had some doubt that I would show up today. (laughs) But uh, here I am, so we're going to try a little different technology today that will help me. uh... Well, we were going to try it. Brandon, it just went to blank, so remind me what to do. Here we go. All right, let's try that. Many of us who've had children have been asked along the way, tell us about the day your children were born. Well, us guys try to think that we're you know, impressive, we remember it well. And, and so you ask a guy or you ask me, I, I, I'll go back and say, man, I was there, I was right there in the room. I did have to look away a couple of times but at the end of the day, it was awesome. That's the detail I remember. But our, the mothers of the children, our, our wives look at that and say, they can tell you what happened when, when the nurse came in the room, when they had the epidural, they can tell you all those details. We remember those moments. Well, for me, I, I remember April the 10th, 1985, walking through the major, large doors the doorways of Southwest Mississippi Regional Medical Center, there was a baby gonna be born. My first child, Lindsay, would be born the next morning at 8 a.m. When the nurse, when she was born and the nurse put her in my arms, two thoughts came to my mind instantly. The first one was, some man's gonna come along one day and take her away. And the second one was, more profound. My universe just changed forever. Well, we have those moments when the universe changes. And so after the birth of our daughter and we were headed home, I walked out those same doors I had entered the day before, but I'd never experienced a more powerful doorway again. Doorways are interesting things and they're tricky sometimes. When our 12-year-old uh, granddaughter Siani was about three, I think it's three or four, she took her downtown to meet Lainey at her office. It was on the fourth floor of the building. And so we get on the first floor elevator. Of course, the doors close. And we open up, and we're on the fourth floor, and Siani looked out and went, oh, What happened? <laughs> she was transformed. She'd never been on an elevator before. She went in, everything looked like this. And she came out and it was a whole new universe for her. Well, doorways have long depicted transitions, sometimes for moving from the known to the unknown. There are examples in literature of doorways that have led to magical or mysterious worlds. C.S. Lewis told us of the doorway of Narnia. That was a, the, the magical space where the children would learn and, and understand more important things of the world. J.R.R. Tolkien told us of the round wooden door of Bilbo Baggins as a rallying symbol. And finally, we had Stephen King showing us the suspense. There it is. Where it is? There we go. Uh, The suspense. Well, it's not. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pause here. Brandon? I got it? Okay. All right. So that mysterious doors of the Dark Tower series that he created. You know, there's a, another doorway repre- represented by a gentleman who was at First Christian Church Louisville for more than 50 years, and this is Faye Watson. Faye was uh, opening that door for more than 50 years at, every Sunday, standing at the entrance doors to the sanctuary. Faye died in 2011, and in a few weeks or months, uh, a couple of months away, they're going to dedicate the new entr- entrances to the sanctuary in Louisville. And there will be a large plaque on the wall, the brick wall right there beside it, in Fay's honor. Because Fay understood how important that doorway was. He knew that some people would go in that doorway and they would come out with their universe having changed forever. Beginning today and for three more weeks after, we're going to be looking at four different characters in the Bible, four people who weren't particularly known or identified as as major leaders, but they were key people in transition periods of time in the Scriptures. We're in a period of transition here at First Christian Church, and so my hope is is that through each of these characters, you will at least take away one major principle or belief that will help FCC Jeff going through the transitions that we face in the coming months you know the chaotic world I talked about last week has led many people to to ask some key questions first of all Where am I going? (laughs) There we go. Where am I going? Where is the path? leading me where am I traveling forward in this life and through these transitions and through some of the doorways that I face Who do I believe? Boy, that's a big question these days, isn't it? I've never expected to be challenged with who do I believe as much as I have been in the last few years. Even about the pandemic or other things going on in the world. My my first half, at least, of my adult life was fairly simple. I believed this person. I believed in these people. I believed these principles. And then we get thrown into this chaos. Who do I believe? And then... Who do, I really, who do I really want to believe? And what do I really want in life? And finally, how do I survive all this? How do I move forward? Well, you know, there's not much different now than it was for the Hebrew people some 3,500 years ago. They were very tired. They were experiencing they experienced pandemics. They had daily routines that had been altered forever. And they no longer felt safe around many people they argued among themselves and debated the facts let's look at 13th chapter of numbers the lord said to moses send some men to explore the land of canaan which i'm giving to the israelites from each ancestral tribe send one of the leaders send one of the leaders from each of the tribes well let's set the stage for all that had gone on up till this point, we had the burning bush in Moses. We see Moses and Aaron meeting. There were plagues. There was another plague. There was another plague, then Passover. There was another plague. Then the exodus begins. The Ten Commandments are given. Second law is given. more laws, the ordination of priests then more laws, a census, then more laws, then complaining and bickering that I mentioned earlier, and finally, they're on the edge of the promised land. Well, we'll get back to the story in a few minutes, but first I want to talk about group projects. We have these group projects that we've experienced or been a part of maybe in school or churches. How many of you have ever been a part of a group project? How many of you like them? (laughs) There are reasons that uh, we like them less and less. And looking back, you know, there's always that person in our group that didn't carry their weight and uh, you felt like you were going to be judged. The teacher insisted on judging the group as a whole and how unfair that was. Right, Lainey? If we just are dependent on that, frustrated about it. We've Experienced those same kind of group projects in churches where we're not quite on the same page with what the purpose is, or I thought we were doing this, and I thought we might be going this way. And just kind of the struggles that group projects are when there's a particular project or something to be accomplished. I've experienced that on a jury before. You're all sitting in that courtroom every day listening to the same thing, and you go into the the jury uh, chambers, and all of a sudden you... It's like they weren't in the same room with you. People have different perspectives, different agendas. So it's group projects that create challenges, and we're going to wade into one here with the Hebrew people. Let's get back to the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua, along with a group I call the Grasshoppers, the ten others, were selected by Moses. They run a mission to spy out the territory God had promised them. Moses told them, "Go." do some due diligence. He wanted evidence from the land that that it exhibited what God had promised. He wanted to see that it was a a land truly uh, flowing with milk and honey. And so after 40 days, they'd gone, and after 40 days, the spies returned. Now, when a handful of them started sharing with with everyone what they had seen, uh, some of the others hearing, and particularly uh, Caleb and Joshua, heard what was going on, and they didn't agree. Caleb, in fact, said, we should go take possession of the land." Isn't that amazing? He had a whole different perspective than some others in the group. You've seen the same thing and experienced it in those group projects. The whole group prepares a report and it's somewhere you, you're off the rails or they're off the rails because somehow you don't quite agree or you don't all come to agreement. And what they'd seen, what they'd understood about what they had experienced have you ever said to yourself, seriously, how can he or she, she, he or she say that when both know that it wasn't like that? How can he or she believe that? We both saw the same thing. Well, remember this? You remember this gold dress? <laughs> well, there was a lot of debate. On, uh, on February in 2015, this picture of one picture of the dress appeared online on social media. In two days, 4.4 million people tweeted about this dress and what color that they thought it was. Lots of disagreement, lots of comparisons. Pascal Wallace is an NYU professor. He said the following, it is well known that in situations like this, with a dress, where it faces profound uncertainty, the brain confidently fills in the gaps In knowledge by making assumptions. Usually its assumptions are based on what it has most frequently encountered in the past. What an interesting thought about this, that the brain fills in the gaps. So in other words, in my words, we all see things differently. That was the case with Caleb and the grasshoppers. When though the people had returned, they reported that God was right. They'd done their due diligence, and, and it, what God had said is, was true. It was a land of milk and honey. It had uh, fruit and, and land that you could grow crops on. But as is often the case, the team found some surprises. The biggest surprise, of course, was that the cities were large and fortified. and The people were powerful and huge. In fact, the grasshoppers said this, We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now the grasshopper faction stirred the crowd, and the crowd was in an uproar. The crowd started saying, Oh my gosh, I'm not sure about this promised land. Let's go back. If only we had died in Egypt. Think of that. They're saying, If only I'd died in Egypt, I wouldn't be standing here on the verge of this unknown land. And all this craziness going on and these giants that we're being told about, even wishing that perhaps they'd died. Well, like these people, we find ourselves looking back at times, looking back at doorways that we've gone through, thinking maybe we can reclaim that familiar ground. Maybe we can find our Egypt again. Sometimes faulty memories telling us how great it was. The truth is, We can't ever step again for the first time on ground we've left behind. Let me read it again. We can't ever step again for the first time on ground that we've left behind. You know, while the, the ground is, is back there and we can look back at it, it's not attainable anymore. And so the Hebrew people have said, if only we died, or if only we had taken this step, or gone this direction, if only this and that, well... That's a challenge because if only is a dangerous diversion when we hope to God for what isn't. We sacrifice experiencing God and what is. If only. Think about how many times perhaps you've said that in your life or we've, we've challenged what is and, and looked back and wanting if only. And we could be back there. We can really miss out on the important things in life. While this report was stirring up the people, Caleb and his friend Joshua looked around and said, hold on a minute, hold on just a second. We were part of the same group project and we didn't agree with the report. They took the stage and they described the land exactly as the grasshoppers had, flowing with milk and honey, abundant with fruit and rich soil. And let's hear what else they had to say. Caleb and Joshua said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Imagine God watching this unfold. Only two of the twelve that went into the promised land saw the full picture. The whole picture. Let's go back to Wallace's statement. When the brain faces profound uncertainty, it fills the gaps by making assumptions. Ten of the twelve explorers filled in the gaps of uncertainty with something different. Caleb and Joshua had what they did not have. They understood what they did not understand. They understood the God factor. The key piece of information that changes everything. The puzzle piece that others didn't find. In other words, debate over, end of discussion. The dress is whatever color God says it is. I've had some fun with the dress illustration, but this is serious business. Navigating transitions and leaving out the God factor skews everything. It alters your point of view. In recent years, perhaps five to ten years, the point of view videos and pictures have become really popular. Here's an example of one. Now, I don't know who that is or where they are, but I'm happy for them. I don't want to be there. I don't want that point of view. I'm happy to look at that person's point of view. But the point of views are there. And back in 2008, I was working with a team of inventors to... Develop some video technology where a person watching the video could pause it and type in any kind of description or message that they wanted That when the next person watched it that would pop up at that exact moment You could add those text comments The UK football coaches used it with their players for a while. We had a JCPS project underway with peer review videos The cool thing was is that you could have that right there and That person would see then what you were seeing when you watched Video. Eventually, the 2008 financial crisis ended our run. But the project was based on scientific facts. We really do see things differently. I studied some peer reviewed scientific publications and described this fact I see color differently than you. We can look at the same color and see it slightly differently. Laney's brother and sister in law live here in the little area. And we went to their house one evening and they had gotten a new couch. And I said, Man, that's a beautiful brown couch. And Laney and Tammy looked at me and said, It's green. And I looked at Dale, he said, It's brown. So the guys saw it brown and the ladies saw it green. <laughs> that's great. The women, of course, were right. Because on the tag, I looked at the tag, it said it was a green. The funny thing about that is we really physically see things differently. And so why that video technology was so important, because I wanted you to see what I'm seeing. And the only way to do that is to really clarify that to some degree. I see sizes and shapes differently and position of things slightly different. In other words, if we were to stand side by side looking at exactly the same image and videotape that, what our eyes were seeing, the videos would look different because my view is different than yours, physically different. In living life, it's the God factor that sharpens our vision. What is the God factor? It's really simple. The God factor is knowing God in a way that results in doing, because we see the whole picture. Knowing God in a way, so that when I do things, I have the whole picture in mind, and I'm going to be doing things, understanding like Caleb and Joshua did, that God is the central piece of that. The God factor is what makes this different. The God factor is what makes what I do meaningful and significant and impactful. The God factor is what changes things. It changes the risk calculations. Repeating what Caleb said, the Lord is with us. God will keep God's promises to us. You know, Moses and tens of thousands of Hebrew people died in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones of that generation allowed to enter the promised land 40 years later. In fact, it would be Joshua to whom God handed the mantle of leadership after Moses died. You know, we're living in times of these major transitions in the world, in our community, and here at at FCC. When all of the due diligence is done, and it's time to ink the deal, make sure you plug in the God factor into the confusion about science and safety, into the choice between grace and judgment, into this choice between belief and doubt. We're in fact right now walking through a doorway that leads to a universe that has changed forever. When all is said and done and it's up to us to create our story if we do it right when the story is written whether it's 50 years from now or 3,500 years from now about this period of profound transition it won't be about me or you it won't be about other people it won't be about first Christian Church or a political party or a social movement the story will be about the God factor that made all the difference the story will be about the God factor that brought the promised land to those who believed. Amen.